Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would see that you are working all things together for our good. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy 4.14. That's where we will be this evening. 2 Timothy 4.14. Frederick Nietzsche once said that to live is to suffer and to survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. It's rather bleak, maybe not particularly untrue, and anyone who has lived long enough or any amount at all can resonate with the quote or can even resonate with Wesley from the Princess Bride who declared that life is pain, princess. Suffering and pain are a part of life. But what we should challenge this evening is the idea that we suffer without hope or without help. So with that, let us go ahead and look down and read 2 Timothy 4.14. And this is what it says. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. The main point that I want us to take away tonight, the main point to write down to believe is that because God has made things right with us, God will make things right for us. Because God has made things right with us, he will make things right for us. And we'll explore this verse in two simple points, pain and promise. The first part of the verse, pain. The second part of the verse, promise. So that's how we'll break it down. So let's go ahead and dive in and discuss the pain that we see in this verse. And as we begin, it's necessary to do a brief bit of context. You see, 2 Timothy is the last will and testament of Paul. He's awaiting execution as he writes this with days, maybe weeks left. The equipping classes have learned recently that the purpose of 2 Timothy is that Paul is writing about what is precious to him, namely the gospel, to pass it on to people who are precious to him. Timothy, the Ephesian church, and us. And as Paul writes throughout this letter, as he's nearing death, he maintains a resolute confidence in the face of death that he is about to enter into the promise of life, which he says in chapter 1, verse 1, knowing that he has been faithful and has run the race and kept the faith. He has passed on the gospel to Timothy, and we know that Timothy was faithful to then pass on to the gospel because we hold this very letter in our hands this evening. As Paul concludes his final letter, we read from the outset of this verse that Alexander the coppersmith has done him much harm. We don't know a whole lot about Alexander. There are a couple different Alexanders mentioned throughout the scope of the New Testament, but we can't really be sure it's the same guy all the way through. And further, we also can't really be certain what Alexander the coppersmith did to Paul. Perhaps he was the guy who turned Paul in and got him imprisoned. Perhaps he did something to mess with the trial that Paul's about to write about in the uh, coming verses. We're just not really sure. But Whatever Alexander did is irrelevant, though, because the point still stands. He did great harm to Paul. And a simple truth that we can all glean from this is that Christians suffer. The world does us harm. You know, I was talking to Owen Bader on Friday about this verse, and he pointed out that Alexander is not a religious official. 
He's a tradesman. He's a metal worker. It's not the elite Pharisees who've duped it out with Paul over the scope of the last few decades that are taking Paul down. <laughs> it's Alexander, the coppersmith. It's an average guy. And what we can further glean from that is that even normal people seek to do us harm. Perhaps you relate to that a little bit. Perhaps the people who have been the greatest discouragers in your life aren't the atheist Facebook trolls in the comments or the religious extremists of the day. Maybe it's been your boss. Maybe it's been your coworkers, friends, family. And because of this, maybe you're finding yourself in situations where you debate inwardly whether or not to sign that code of sexual ethics at work, knowing that if you don't, you're going to get blacklisted in the office as the bigot. Maybe that one family member or friend that you cared so much about is threatening to cut you off and mocking you because of your faith. Maybe you receive biting comments from other mothers at the daycare play date. Maybe your own kids are speaking poorly of you, mocking you. And maybe you're feeling this pain publicly or privately. You know, as a Christian, targets get put on your back. <laughs> you know, I remember when I worked at Smitty's Garage in college, um, I often faced difficult private and public situations where people would pull me aside and try and corner me, or in public groups would ask biting questions to try and get me, you know, questions to uh, something along the lines of, hey, Bennett, do all gay people go to hell? Okay, are you one of those Bible-thumping fundamentalist Christians who hates everybody? Questions like that that would just try and corner me, take me down, tear me down, and weaken me. It's part of what it means to be a Christian in a fallen world, in a world that hates us. That's part of being a part of the kingdom of God, suffering for the sake of Jesus, crown after cross, as we say. And in spite of all of those things being true, I want us to recognize that God does not ignore our pain. In fact, God is actually quite aware of the pain that we suffer and the circumstances of the pain that surround it. Notice that Paul's circumstances and his pain is written right here in the word of God. There is no doubt that God knew exactly what Paul was going through, even as he's hidden in some little dank Roman cell somewhere. He knows exactly what Paul's going through. And so if you're prone to wonder if God works through the sorrow or even sees your sorrow, let the very fact that we have a record of sorrow here remind you that God cares about your suffering, no matter how public or how private. And because God sees our suffering, like Paul, we can have confidence that God will do something about it. And this leads us to focus on the latter half of the verse here, God's promises. So let's think about the second point, the promises that we have. See, the amazing thing that the Lord promises us is that he will repay uh, those who do us harm. God promises to be our great avenger. And this is the hope that Paul certainly clings to in this moment here. Notice his tone. He's not skeptical or worried. It's resolute. God will repay him. Not might, not maybe. God will repay him. And because Paul knows that to be true, he can wash his hands of the whole situation, knowing that God cares to avenge him. There's nothing more that he has to do. Now, perhaps it's hard for you to relate to Paul. I mean, he's close to death. 
what's he got to lose? Of course, you know, people who are close to death tend to have hyper-spiritual experiences. You know, we think of deathbed confessions and conversions and all the sort. But me, what if I'm 16, 25, 40, 60? I've still got a lot of life left. I still have a lot of suffering. I'm in the heat of a lot of suffering, and there really seems to be no way out. Dear brother or sister, please listen. God does not take care of you only when you are near death. And God cares for you for the endurance of your whole life, including all of your suffering. See, Paul says that God will repay Alexander because Paul has lived out the years of seeing this happen and occur. God's tender care over his saints often comes out in his avenging of them in their trouble. And when he says that he will repay those who harm you, you can trust that God will. See, look at how he has preserved Paul all throughout acts in the epistles against attack after attack after attack, and the Lord has taken down those opponents. Read the last eight chapters of Acts if you don't think that God works through suffering and trials. God has avenged Paul many times, and I trust he's probably even avenged you many times, maybe in small ways, maybe in great ways. If you're young, know that God cares for you so he will preserve you in the coming suffering that you will endure. And if you're currently suffering at the hands of others, which... I trust is likely a large portion of this room. Don't only believe in God's promises of deliverance. Believe God's promises of deliverance that he will avenge you. Paul possessed his resolute confidence that God would repay Alexander according to his deeds because that's what God does. But Paul's confidence in this only comes from a previous promise that's already been made. And the previous promise that's already been made to Paul is that Paul is not judged according to his own deeds. See, the astounding thing is that, like Paul, we all should be judged according to our deeds, repaid according to our deeds. This man, Alexander, caused Paul much heartache and suffering, just as we have all caused much heartache suffering and grief to Jesus through our sin and our unbelief. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all grieved him. And yet, we are absolved and repaid according not to our deeds, but according to the deeds of Jesus, crucified, resurrected, and ascended. See, when Jesus was suspended on the cross by nails driven through his body, experiencing pain so that one day we wouldn't have to experience pain, Jesus cried out an ultimate promise. And what did he cry out? It is finished. His deeds were enough. For any who have repented and trusted in Christ, our repayment is inexhaustibly rich because we receive God himself and every subsequent blessing that follows. What a trust fund that we have in store for us. The promise that we are repaid according to Christ's work relieves us of the responsibility to take matters into our own hands when we are suffering at the hands of others. The Lord will rescue us from every evil deed crafted against us, every hateful comment made in the break room, every biting comment and word said online, 
in every assault that you may feel in this life. And friends, because God has made things right with us, he will make things right for us. And because he'll make things right for us, we should pray to him that he does. We learned this morning that David prayed first before anything else. And we've sung tonight, what a friend we have in Jesus. Do you remember the line that says, oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. God wants to hear about the pain that you are enduring and suffering. And he wants to shoulder it from you. He wants to deliver you from it. The next trial you endure, or whatever trial you're currently in, the thing that is currently making you nervous as you think about going into work tomorrow, or that conversation that you're going to have this week, whatever it might be, take it to God in prayer. As you submit your sorrows to him in prayer, trust that he will work it out for your deliverance, just as he continued to work things out for David and for Paul. And because your future glory is certain in the promised and finished work of Jesus, you are able to rest assured that any affliction, that in any affliction, God will work it out for your deliverance. And you may be currently sitting between the promise of deliverance and deliverance itself, where it's tough, your faith is stretched, you're trusting God, maybe it feels like it's bending, but because God's made things right with you, he'll finally make things right for you when you enter into glory. Even if you struggle to see God's deliverance right now and how he's doing all things, there will be a final deliverance. Paul experienced that final deliverance. We know from, just a, from church history that he would want, he'd be executed and uh, he'd be beheaded. And as he was beheaded, he entered into glory. Bringing you into glory is the final way that God will avenge you. And there, all of his promises are finally seen. Your pain will pass away, never to be experienced again, as you behold the radiance of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.